0: It would be great if you could have that passage from Matthew open in front of you. Who do you think you are? I'm not asking that as a question, I'm speaking of the genealogy documentary series that features on BBC, Who Do You Think You Are, where celebrity participants trace their family history. You may have seen it and they discover they've they've got all these lost connections, all these earlier histories, as they trace their family trees. There was one uh, really famous episode with the Olympic gold medalist, um, Sir Matthew Pinson, you know, the rower. He traced his family back to the First World War, and then on back to the Napoleonic War, And even back to William Howard, uncle of Catherine Howard, fifth wife of Henry VIII. But it didn't stop there. I remember when Matthew, already astounded, discovered that he was descended from William the Conqueror. But it didn't stop there either. There was a scene in the show where a beautiful medieval scroll was opened. And that scroll was created at a time when kings had the divine right to govern. And on the basis of the claim that was in that scroll, it showed a link between the British monarchy to that of Jesus and King David and Adam and Eve. Now, that shouldn't surprise us, because all of us come from Adam and Eve. But he truly was amazed and astonished. I wonder, who do you think you are? Tonight, we're going to be looking at the genealogy of Jesus. Everything we need to know about Jesus is found in this uh, genealogy, as it were. Now, isn't it? interesting that Matthew's gospel, it doesn't begin the way an epic movie might begin, you know, with a sense of excitement and drama, a scene that would have us all in the edge of our seats. No, it begins in a very matter-of-fact way. Let's just look at verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then in the next 16 verses that follow, we have a list of names. One preacher called this passage the ultimate sermon snoozer this is hardly memorizing stuff a genealogy filled with 48 names half of which i can barely pronounce and the names just sit there like lifeless skeletons i wonder when i was reading the passage if you find your mind just drifting off losing concentration while these names might not excite us may not even interest us that much, we need to know that for Matthew's first century readers, your family tree told you everything about who you are, about whose son you were, his whose grandson, his whose great-grandson. Your family backstory indicated something about you. And that greatly mattered. As Jews, were always wanting to know their roots, their background, their tribe. Now, as we look at this family tree together, we're going to see that Jesus' family tree is a, is a mixed bag. Both the great and the good, the lowest and the least. Just look down at verse 1 again. We're told that he is both the son of David, the son of Abraham. So from the get-go, Jesus is a Jew, a direct descendant of the Father. The Jews Abraham, a direct descendant of David, both of whom God made great promises. To Abraham, from your offspring will come one who will bless the nations. To David, there will be one of your descendants who will sit on the throne forever, and his kingdom will be everlasting. As we come to look at this genealogy together, I'm going to divide it up into three sections. And our first heading is, Jesus is the child of promise. I've already pointed that out by saying that he's a descendant of both Abram and David, these two great Old Testament men. Let's start with Abram, the great patriarch. In Matthew, in verse 2, that's what he wants to do, is he he connects Jesus to Abram, who was the father of Isaac, Isaac, who was the father of Jacob, and Jacob. The father of Judah and his brothers. Jesus was a direct descendant from the great patriarchs of Israel. And and, and the reason I say that Jesus is a child of promise is because the promises given to Abraham were reiterated to Isaac and Jacob. He's a child of promise because he is that descendant through whom all the nations of the earth would be Bless. Notice which tribe Jesus is from. He's from the tribe of Judah, the promised tribe from which the Messiah would come. And as we work our way from Judah downwards, we come to David. He's the son, the descendant of King David in verse 6. As I said, great promises were given to Abraham in Second cha- Samuel chapter 7. Great promises were given to David. Let me just read from Second Samuel chapter 7. Verse 2 says this, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Verse 16, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Jesus is a direct descendant of one of the greatest kings of Israel, King David, the one who was promised that he would have a son, a descendant who would reign on his throne forever. And so what Matthew is telling us is that the baby, wrapped in swaddling cloths, laid in the manger in Bethlehem is that long-promised, long-anticipated Messiah and King. Now, see, if you stand back and think about it, right, from a Jewish perspective, Jesus is the ultimate insider. His Jewish pedigree is impeccable. Abram, Judah, David, beat that. It demonstrates all of us to all of us that he is the true child of promise now I said this this morning but it's worth saying again if you're here this evening and and perhaps you're a sceptic of Christianity you need to know that one of the things that that, that one of the important features to Christianity is that this is real history actual history this is no made up story You, you know this is no fairy tale this is no myth here we read this list of real people who lived in a real land called Israel. They had real parents, real children, real grandchildren. You can go to the museum, the British Museum, and you can find artifacts that back up a number of these people lived. If you're skeptical about Christianity, you can examine the ed- evidence. The evidence backs up the history to which we've just read. Now, in contrast to Jesus being from an impeccable Jewish background, the second heading that I've got is Jesus is the child of promise. He's also the child of prostitutes and pagans. I don't know if I start in in verses 1 through 6. Matthew in this genealogy mentions four women. Verse 3, Tamar. Verse five, Ruth and Rahab. Verse six, Bathsheba. Now, in Jewish culture, the very mention of women makes his genealogy unique, because it was a patriarchal culture. They traced people from their father, the son, the father, the son. And here we've got mention of women. Because Matthew is keen to show that in Jesus' family tree, yes, he might be the ultimate insider, but he also has the ultimate outsiders in his family tree. You know, did you, did you notice that one of the things that all the women have in common is that they were not Jews? At Tamar and Rahab, Canaanites, Ruth, Moabite, Bathsheba, well, and and she doesn't even get mentioned by name, Bathsheba, she was married to Uriah the Hittite. And and as we read this, this shouldn't shock us, it shouldn't surprise us, because remember, what's the promise given to Abraham? Your descendant will be a blessing to all the nations. But Matthew is saying something to his original audience that's so counter to them. Jesus didn't just come from the Jews only. He came from the Gentiles too. Because here's the glory of the good news of Jesus Christ is that there is neither Jew nor Gentile for all are one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. My um, auntie did... Uh, some investigating into our family tree. Uh, I, I come from a, a long lines of Jones family uh, from Wales, but settled in, in Manchester. And one of my great, great, great grandfathers um, was what you'd call a bastard child. He, he ran away from home. He served in the Navy, and then he returned back and became a, a minister of the gospel. And if you visit a church in Great Budsworth and Uh, the north, you can go into the cemetery and there you can see this huge grave. But that's not the only child, that's not the only ancestor I have that's perhaps a got an interesting story. There's there's others when you, you start digging into their history and you start to discover there's a few skeletons in the closet in my family tree. All these women... They're all associated with sin. Remember Tamar? Remember her story? She was forced by Judas and into humiliating herself. She dressed up as a temple prostitute and she slept with her father in or father-in-law in order to get an heir. And then there's Rahab, the Canaanite. What was her trade in life? She was a prostitute. Now, we remember her as the woman who put faith in Yahweh and risked her life for God's people. And then there's Ruth, the Moabite. She might actually have guilt by association as a descendant of Lot. And she ended up herself having to woo Boaz. And then there's Bathsheba. she was the one who we know David sinned with. The mother of his child. Isn't it fascinating, right? Just think, this, we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about the Son of God. We're talking about the long-promised Messiah. Look into his family tree, and there are skeletons, as it were, in his closet. If you pause and think about it, though... This very dysfunctional family tree, it's good news. It's good news for all of us. Because let's be honest, all of us come from less than perfect families. This is good news. Jesus' family line is filled with moral outsiders, ethnic outsiders in Jewish culture, gender outsiders. Matthew is communicating to us, Jesus came for the outsiders. He is not ashamed to call the outsiders his family. Make them own his own family. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how dysfunctional your family is, Jesus extends an invitation to you. He wants to make you part of his family. That's why he came into this world. To save and rescue sinners, to purchase, the lost, the least, the last with his own precious blood. Now it's also fascinating that I've said, you know, Jesus is a a child of prostitutes, he's also a child of pagans. You know, it's one thing for Jesus in Jesus' family tree for us to read about King David, but we also read about Manasseh. Do you remember him? He was one of Israel's most evil kings. And as he led his people astray, you can read about it in Second Kings chapter 21, to do more evil than the nations had done whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. It says in Second Kings 21, he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood. He Was a monster. He indulged in child sacrifice. And yet the child of promise. Is the child of prostitutes. And pagans. You couldn't get a a starker contrast. Than the one that Matthew paints here. He comes from the ultimate insider family. He's a Jew. But he also has in his background. The ultimate outsiders. You know at Christmas time, all of us, not all of us, but many of us will will, will get together with our families and um you see speak to people, and you know that's often what we say that we look forward to the most you know time of holiday, time with friends and family but how many of us know how difficult it can be when you get together with your family? You know, a petty thing blows up, becomes a huge thing, fallouts, disagreements with siblings. Spouses, the stress of the whole thing. We all want to give this this, this picture off that we've got the picture-perfect family. We will post f- photos of our family on Instagram or Facebook. But, you know, when we look at the family of Jesus, in one sense we would never say it's picture-perfect. It's a mess. Who's his family background. It actually makes sense of who he is and is coming. He came into this world because we are a mess. Because we are sinners. Because we are in desperate need of rescue. We're guilty. We deserve his wrath. He came to save us. So the babe of Bethlehem is a child of promise. He's a child of prostitutes and pagans. Finally, He's God's child of perfect providence. Did you notice that this genealogy is divided up into different sections, 14 generations in each? And in verses 2 to 6, we see from Abraham to King David, and then from 7 to 11, from David to the time when the enemy invasion resulted in the deportation of the people to Babylon, what we call the exile. Now, you know what's fascinating about that is is that in Israel's history, there was a moment when all things looked completely and utterly bleak. Israel was ransacked. The temple looted. Their homes destroyed. Their youngest, their best, taken. Taken to Babylon to live in exile. Trained, immersed, equipped like Daniel and his friends. In in the Babylonian way of things. Learning a new language, adopting new customs. And if you look on from the outside, it looks like, will this family tree coming from Abraham through David, will it continue? God's perfect providence. When there was just a handful who returned in the days of Zerubbabel of God's people back to Israel to rebuild the city and to rebuild the temple in that little handful of people were those of the tribe of Judah were those of the descendants of David and you know the fascinating thing is they didn't have the royal status they didn't have the money they didn't have the background they went back to work. And, and by the first century, there's this little unknown couple. Mr. and Mrs. Nobody. In fact, they weren't yet married. They were betrothed. Joseph and Mary. Mary was the most common name in Israel. Everybody in their granny was called Mary. There was this little girl Mary. History tells us she was probably a teenager. And here she was betrothed to Joseph, the joiner, the carpenter. But in his family tree, he's a descendant of David. In God's perfect providence, he it, it's Caesar Augustus issues a decree. Everyone return to your ancestral home. And in keeping with the prophecy of Micah chapter 5... Joseph returns to his ancestral home, the town of David, Bethlehem. Because in the perfect providence of God, this little couple were to welcome into this dark and broken world the child of promise, the child of prostitutes and pagans, the child of God's perfect Providence. Jesus Christ. You know, it's great if you, if you just look down at the end of this genealogy there at the end of verse 16. Who's called the Christ. We know that's not Christ's second name. That's his title. Here's the point. He's no ordinary son. He's the son of God. He's the promised one. And why was he born? He was born to rescue the sinner. And the guilty. you know, one of the most amazing things about God is his proven track record, keeping every promise He ever made to his people, and where does He spectacularly showcase that reality in the birth of Jesus? God makes promises, God keeps His promise, promises, and so God can be trusted. And what was Christ's purpose? Come to rescue. Come to save. You know, you know, I've given this quote before and one, once I shared it, it, it was totally lost in people. I think Jan got it. Arsene Wenger was a manager <laughs> of Arsenal. We need to explain next, an illustration It's bad. Football manager. And he once said, Christmas is important, but Easter Is decisive. Christ coming into this world. Is is hugely important. God become man. Wonder of the incarnation. But he was born in the cradle. In order that he might go to the cross. In order that he might live. And then die and seal in his shed blood the forgiveness of all who would put their faith and trust in him. And his promise is this, if you believe in him, you shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Christ was born to save. Christ was born to die in the place of those people who have got a shady background. Who come from dysfunctional families. People like you and people like me. People unworthy. People that he promises salvation to. You might not know your family tree. But if you put your faith and trust in Christ. Your family is his family. He's your elder brother. And everyone who's a Christian, they're your brothers and sisters. And they will be forevermore. And God is in the business in Christ in transforming us. And he takes that which is dysfunctional. And he makes it beautiful. And we will one day live together. And we will sing the praises of the Christ who was born, who lived, and who died. I hope this sermon didn't put you to sleep. The ultimate sermon snoozer. But I do hope this sermon reminds you that anyone who trusts in Christ, he saves the insider, the outsider. He saves the lost, the least. He came to rescue. Put your trust in him. And no salvation. Let's pray. God, we thank you how in your perfect providence you, you worked out your great plan of salvation. We thank you so much that we can come and we can study this genealogy of Jesus and in many ways we can stand in awe and wonder, looking at the, the long list of names, seeing their story and connecting it with his story. Thank you that this genealogy tells us everything we need to know about your Son. And we pray, O God, that we would be people who put our faith and trust in the Son. That we would come to see that his birth, his life, and his death and resurrection is everything. We pray, O God, that we would come to know the forgiveness of sins if we don't yet, if we've not trusted and believed. We pray that for those of us who have trusted and believed would realize that our elder brother is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. And so that even as we go into this week, we would live with a confidence in him. We would not be ashamed of him but we would know that the power of God is put on full display in the gospel of God as is is made known first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. God, we pray that all nations would come to know and love the Son. And if you would see fit, would you use us to that end to make known this glorious good news. We pray this in his precious name. Amen.